Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Stephen Means. We're coming at you on a Tuesday during the bye week. I hate calling it the bye week. I mean, I know everybody calls it the bye week, but they're not on. It's not a bye. You're not getting a. You're not getting a pass. I mean, you're, it's it's just your idol. You don't play this week. I'm I'm a stickler for 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 technical terms, but I'm gonna that's call the, it the that's title. the hill you're gonna. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm the hill you're gonna get hill. upset on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the thing is, it's a it's not a very high hill it's a short it's the only hill i can walk up anymore um 43 okay. now it's the only one i can climb <laughs> so that's the one i'm gonna i'm literally gonna die on it it's like it's as far as i can climb and then i'm just dead but a tuesday podcast we're not doing one on saturday so we're getting to you uh five days uh the normal five days this week and today we're talking recruiting we haven't talked recruiting here on buckeye talk in a while so steven and i are back you might remember in the off season this was like a weekly thing and today we're going to do a catch-up. We're going to talk about some of the dynamics that are kind of playing out right now with the team in recruiting, and we're going to talk about a lot of specific guys. And the way we're going to do that up front is we're going to count down Ohio State's 10 most important recruits uh, uh, by, by Stevens' estimation, uh, yeah. regardless of class. So these are the 10 guys that are, that are out there as targets, uh, regardless of class, that are going to – the ones that are the most essential for Ohio State to try to to land and, and bring into the fold here for the, the coming classes. Before we do that, because this is a off week, recruiting is typically a, a big part of this. We haven't talked to Ryan Day yet as far as like what their schedule is this week, but I would imagine that you're going to see reports of coaches um, making the rounds later this week, right, Stephen? Yeah, it'll be the second time they've gotten the chance to make these type of rounds. They did it in week zero where you saw Ryan Day kind of – Spending a quarter at different games in Ohio. Uh, Brian Hartline went to go see Carnell Tate. Al Washington went to go see C.J. Hicks. You know, all the assistant coaches were out somewhere. They, they kind of stayed in state that time around. I would think that maybe they'd go a little further out this time around national with it being a bye week, which means that there are probably some things from a you know actual roster standpoint that they're not necessarily worried about this week. So, yeah, you should – 
if you just check social media on Friday night, you'll probably see a head coach. You'll see a head coach and a lot of the assistants at different places around the country, you know, watching certain targets. What is for people who don't follow this as closely, what are the rules right now as far as contact? Who, who can they talk to? How can they, and, and what, what contact can they have? They can call, they can call and text. And then obviously they can take the, it's kind of more of an open period right now. They can call, they can text. The kids can come on campuses, you know, for unofficial visits on game days and for official visits if needed be. So it's pretty loose right now. You can do what you need to do. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily a dead period right now. So let's get into this list. You ranked them one through 10. These are all uh, players. Uh, it ranges from guys who are in this class that are putting together right now, 2022, all the way through 2024. By the way, get the text 614-350-3315. I, I did put a call out to texters for just their recruiting related questions. We're going to get to that in the third segment, but a lot of the questions that were asked are going to get answered in the process of us talking about these 10 guys. So, Stephen, start off the list. I'm going to have you start off the list at number 10 because I want to make sure I don't mispronounce. It's Mateo Uyangalele, correct? Yeah, that was good. Mateo Uyangalele, the little brother of DJ Uyangalele. He is, a, he is not a quarterback, though. He is a defensive end, the number 12 player, and the top edge rusher in the 2023 recruiting class. And before I get into this some more, the criteria for this list isn't just who the best players are in the country because that's not how building a team works. And it's also not every single one of these guys is going to end up a Buckeye. It's, it's importance based on their position. It's based on need and it's based on what it would mean for the program to get a guy like this. One, it's splitting up him from his brother, which is always a good thing. If you can keep Clemson from getting both of those, both of Big Dave's sons. I mean, Big Dave has pretty much found a way to get the two most important positions in football and, you know, raise them within his own household here. So, uh, and also he was here in the summertime. He came for an unofficial visit and got a chance to work out with Larry Johnson, and he looked awesome. Um, a lot of people got an opportunity to do that one-on-one -on -one workout with Larry Johnson, and I think he kind of excelled in it better than all those guys. Kristen Miller had one. Uh, Shamar Stewart had one. So a lot of other people have But he – he looks like he does Larry Johnson's drills in his backyard every single day. He looks every bit of the six foot four, two hundred and fifty five pounds. And the the big thing here is we discussed when back before JT Tui Malowau committed the idea of what it would mean to bring in both him and Jack Sawyer, who are pretty much the two highest rated defensive defensive players Ohio State's ever signed, at least in the modern era, by the way, and how big of a deal that was for Larry Johnson, you know, and a guy who's recruited a lot of high highly rated guys, that's probably his magnum opus, to kind of, you know, two years, two cycles later, you know, encore that with this, especially with the way that the 2022 defensive line recruiting is going so so far. If he bounces back by getting a guy like this, the number one defensive end in the 2023 class, that'd be pretty significant for this, for what Larry Johnson is. And it's kind of, every time he gets one of these big time guys, it kind of pushes back any idea if he might be, you know, on the back end of his, his coaching career, maybe being close to retirement because these guys wouldn't come here if they didn't feel like he, they'd be here all three years that they'd be in Columbus. Well, Mateo Uyangalele chases quarterbacks the way my dog chases squirrels because I just had to get up and let him out in case anybody heard him whining to, to be let out the back door before I uh, put myself on mute for a second. Um, who are the, where, where's the top competition here? Because obviously the Uyangaleles are from California, correct? Mm -hmm. So this yeah. is another cross country recruitment it obviously worked out fine for Clemson as far as landing his mm -hmm. older brother where does Ohio State have uh, the battlefield here 
Yeah, because he's so young, obviously nothing's been narrowed down yet. So you just got to go with the big names here, Alabama, you know, Clemson, Georgia, Oklahoma, all the big time schools that you would think would be in this type of recruitment or in it right now. They're clearly in the let's just gather information stage with him. But it, obviously, yes, Clemson is probably the, the team to beat for everybody because, you know, as we found, as Ohio State found out over the summer, you know, nothing beats your actual family, even if you can create a family-like environment within your program. So, yeah, this is – I don't, I don't want to say it's Clemson fight to lose. I just think Clemson's in an interesting space here because DJ is already there. And whether he's playing well or not, that's their quarterback going forward. Who else is kind of in the mix in that as far as defensive ends? I mean, he's like the obviously the, the star guy. Are they are they going after other high impact guys at defensive end for that class? Right now, there's three guys with offers, two other than him, Malik Bryant out of the IMG Academy. But I, he, I don't think he's coming up here. He's got an offer and he's had been in some contact, but I would highly doubt that one. And then to Silly Akana. Who as for when he got an offer was a linebacker, which is all. But that's always the interesting thing with front seven guys is when they're 15, 16 years old, you're not really sure how much more they're going to grow. So they could end up projecting out to be a defensive lineman, and he fits that bill. And then obviously those are the guys listed as edge rushers according to two four seven sports. And then some defensive lineman who might be able to kick out Derek LeBlanc, who it seems like there was a point in time where he was trending towards Ohio State in a significant way. And obviously he hasn't pulled the trigger on that one yet, but the number 46 player and the number 10 defensive lineman in the country, he's been up here a couple of times for camps. And I'm pretty sure he was up there, up here for the July barbecue that they had. But those are the, uh, Gabriel Harris came up here for, for an unofficial visit in the camp back when he was still coming to Miami. Uh, we'll see what happens with that one. But those are just some names to keep an eye out on. They've already, they've built a strong list in 2023 of guys in the, from both three tech and defensive and the edge rusher position that they're going after right now. But obviously the focus is still in 2022 and some of those guys, but yeah, the, the, the list is already strong. It starts with guys like Mateo and Derek and maybe a David Hicks who came up here, but he might end up being more of a three tech than a defensive end, but we'll see. It's kind of, it's early just because they're so young. Right. And, 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 er, and, and still, because of last year losing to the pandemic that that did throw things off for that mm. 2023 class but that 2023 class seems sort of important just because if things go according to plan for both Ohio State in terms of their development and for Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloao for what they want to do with their lives 2023 will probably be their last seasons at Ohio State so yeah landing someone big in that 2023 class and letting them kind of work under them for a year and fill in behind them that next year could could be mm -hmm. like kind of perfect timing. Who do you have yeah. at number nine on your most important list? I have Ernest Green, who was supposed to come on an official visit this past fall, but he's had to reschedule and that has not been done yet. But the number 61 player and the number two inside offensive lineman in the 2022 recruiting class, he comes from St. John Bosco High School, their first, you know, name on this list but there's a lot of guys even if they didn't make this list that Ohio State's recruiting out there if that school sounds familiar it should because that's the same school that they went and got Court Williams from and they went and got Wyatt Davis from who is to the point of you know California kids back on Mateo really quickly while Mateo was going through his workout once he got done he got on a FaceTime call with Wyatt Davis right there inside the Woody and was basically walked talk talk him about how his visit was going so even after you grab even after you're gone from Ohio State you're still recruiting for Ohio State when you're you know uh, you know former All-Americans at the school but back to Ernest Green he's got a great relationship with Wyatt Davis and that seems like the end 
with Ohio State, the fact that they can sell the come be the next Wyatt Davis pitch to him. But like I said, he was supposed to come on a visit, um, had to reschedule it, and that hasn't happened yet. This is important because Ohio State needs offensive linemen. The depth is great right now on the roster, but it's not necessarily great with, like, starters. It's just, you know, how many – you got Matthew Jones, who's probably going to come back, and then Donovan Jackson, who's probably going to be a starter next year. And then what do you do after that if Luke Whippier's your center? It probably helps that Harry Miller – this sucks to say, but he's been hurt, which probably, you know, slows down his timeline for when he was going to be NFL ready. If he ever, even if he was going to make that jump this year. So maybe they bring that back for a little bit more depth, but you still need to add some interior lineman depth of guys who are, that you can look at and go, Hmm, by year two, he might be a starter. And Ernest Green is one of the few guys who are still uncommitted who fits that category for Ohio state, especially since right now, Ohio state's offensive line recruiting, Tegra Shabola and George Fitzpatrick, two quality guys, but might be more depth guys and potential future starters. Well, at the rate things are going, I think there's still a possibility. Maybe, maybe unlikely. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with Harry Miller that Mm -hmm. he's only played in a couple of games so far this year. And he's only played in blowout scenarios. So I, I, it's probably not out of the realm of possibility that he only plays in four games this year. Because right now, Matthew Jones, as you said, is the guy that comes in off the bench. So we're really speculating here. But it wouldn't shock me if he ended up having an extra year to work with, which would have him still around in 2023, uh, all the way through 2023, potentially, you know, depending mm-hmm. on how 2022 goes for him. And then Luke Whipler obviously has multiple years still remaining eligibility-wise. So I, it, it would see, and, then, and then obviously Donovan Jackson on top of that. So that's three spots if you just kept Harry Miller at left guard where you could still be pretty stable through 2023. That's part of the issue with a lot of positions here, especially in a lot in, in, within the trenches on the defensive and offensive line right now, where the numbers are off. I understand that super seniors don't count against your scholarships and that they won't count against your scholarship numbers going forward, but still their bodies within the room. And you got to have room and places to put people, especially when you're talking about these highly rated guys who want to see a, clean route to the field. They want to be able to look at that depth chart and go, okay, this is when I can fight for a job. And if you're not sure whether we're talking about Harry Miller, because you're right, he might just plan four games and then and then redshirt the year so he doesn't lose it. And you can say the same thing at defensive line where, you know, is Zach, none of those guys are playing at a level that suggests that they won't be here next year right now. Because the, even Zach Harrison, he's not playing like a first rounder. He's going to get drafted if he leaves this year, but he's not a bona fide first rounder. Tariq Smith's been hurt all year. And so is he going to get drafted? Javante Jean Baptiste, I mean, is he going to get drafted? These are guys where the question now becomes, are they going to leave and just like bank on their talent and, you know, do go the Jonathan Cooper route where maybe they go a, lo- a lot lower than maybe they would have hoped, but they make the team anyway because they impress in a camp or do they come back and try to improve their, st- their stock? And it's kind of the same thing on both sides of the, of the ball in the line of trenches right now where you're not really sure what your numbers are. And a lot of these recruits know that as well. Well, Jonathan Cooper didn't leave early and get. Yeah, I know. But you know what I mean? Like the idea of, you know, you know what I mean? The concept, not necessarily the fact that he left early. Sure, sure. Uh, so who is number eight on your countdown? Yeah, this is where I think some questions are going to start to get answered about what's going on with certain things. A.J. Harris, right there on the border of Alabama and Georgia, the number 13 player, the number three cornerback in the 2023 recruiting class. Ohio State has not had a five-star cornerback 
since Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade, obviously because they lost Jaheim Singletary in the 2022 recruiting class, and this is their best chance for that. He was on campus this past weekend for what was the second time, I believe, to watch the Maryland game. From my understanding, the family really enjoyed the visit. They enjoyed their visit under, over the summer, too, when they got a chance to get a one-on-one -on -one workout with Kerry Combs. And so two trips, two pretty quality reviews from that family on what they like about Columbus and what they like about Ohio State. And this is interesting in the sense that what is Kerry Combs going to be here? And is he going to be here? Guys like this is where this matters. Because, and it's also why Ryan Day has kind of learned from the past of the Jeff Halfley situation and making sure that recruiting is more collaborative and that a player feels comfortable with more than just one person, even if it's not somebody necessarily who's going to be coaching them once they get on campus. Because what you don't want is another Clark Phillips situation where a guy commits here, but then his assistant coach leaves. And so he's out the moment that that guy takes a job elsewhere. So it's a lot of moving parts with this one. It's a lot of communication, especially with a lot of these defensive back guys of is Kerry Combs going to be here or not? Because he's built such a great relationship with a lot of these guys that you don't want to lose all that momentum because Kerry Combs is no longer here. So a lot of what might happen with him is one does Clemson or Georgia or even Alabama at this point start to pull away some momentum and also, or even Notre Dame, I'll throw them in there as well. Or does, can, does Kerry Combs stay and finish the job of recruiting this kid? Hate to be a cynic, but do you think it's a coincidence that Kerry Combs got the game ball after <laughs> the Maryland game? If AJ no, Harris is here. Of course not. Listen, I mean, yes, the secondary played well, but it probably needed to play well, given who was here. But, yeah, that's not a coincidence that Kerry Combs got that. And I'm pretty sure that at some point those questions were asked about what Kerry Combs' role is and also how he's adjusted to that role and whether or not he's happy in that role or not. And they they, they have to answer all those questions. I know Ryan Day got asked uh, by Zach Carpenter, I believe it was last week, about, you know, how they're discussing this with recruits, how this kind of coaching, you know, how the hierarchy has kind of changed here. And he said that recruits aren't asking these questions. I don't know if I believe that. These, a lot of these kids are smart and so are their families. And so I'm pretty sure when they get the opportunity to ask that question, they're going to ask it. It's, it's tricky to me because I feel like you can say whatever you want right now, but mm -hmm. there are just realities out there as far as – it was a demotion. Like it was a, he's not, yeah. he's not coordinating the defense the same way he was before. And so what you tell people now, um, a lot of this is probably going to be, and, and it, it's the timing is, is odd too, because a lot of this won't be necessarily resolved in a public way by signing day, at least not the early signing day for 2022. This is a 2023 three kid though. So for guys like this, it will definitely have been figured out by the time that they're coming into the fold. Yeah, especially it's part of the reason why his commitment date is January 11th right now. One, because it's his birthday. So, you know, kids, you want to, you know, so happy early birthday to you, January AJ. It's, yeah, that's mostly why. But, but the, the the reason why a lot of these people are, uh, kids are waiting until after the season, at least after their high school seasons, and once you get into a situation where it seems like coaching staffs are starting to get figured out, is because they do want to see how this coaching staff shakes out here. And, uh, and they have the right to take their time. When you're a five-star recruit, when you're a top 50 recruit you kind of hold a lot of the cards here and can you can you can do or we saw it with JT Tumaloa you can take as long as you want to here because you hold all the cards and so that's part of why the defensive back recruiting isn't necessarily booming right now for Ohio State they want to see how this all shakes out my read on this would be that if Kerry Combs were to leave if Kerry Combs were to take another job if you were to go be a head coach somewhere after this year um, which would be a step up for him then mm -hmm. 
it wouldn't necessarily in the short term like devastate Ohio State's defensive back recruiting, but it might be a factor in, as you're kind of talking about, an individual case, like one-on-one direct relationships that have been built. Is that probably a fair way to assess this? In the immediate, yeah. I, I think we've seen in the past I've, the combination of losing carry, but an, also a bad hire can ruin it long term. But yes, in the immediate future, if AJ Harris's only solid relationship with this program is Kerry Combs and he's no longer here, then yeah, that probably burns that bridge a little bit. Now, if Ohio State's done what it said it's, it likes to do in being more collaborative, it probably eases that a little bit because one, these kids are, you know, they, they're smart, so they understand coaches move on and whatnot. But also, if let's just say over the last couple of weeks here, he's built a more solid relationship with Matt Barnes or with Al Washington or anybody within that recruit within the assistant coaching staff. That's a that's a plus because that makes it a lot easier to deal with the fact that Kerry Combs is not here if he feels that much more comfortable, especially with a guy like Matt Barnes who is going to be his coach. Who is number seven on the list? I actually moved this guy up right after I sent the list to, to, to Nathan. So he's got a little bit of a, a, a older list here. Zion Branch, the number 50 player and the number four safety in the 2022 class. And the reason I moved him up is because he's a 2022 guy. So I wanted to move him up ahead of AJ Harris for that exact reason. And it's because a guy later on the list, if you pair those two guys, it, checks off defensive back recruiting for the 2022 recruiting class. Obviously they've got their two outside corners right now and Terrence Brooks and Jair, excuse me, Jair Brown. They got their, they've got Kai Stokes, who's their cover safety right now. They're missing their bullet and they're missing their free safety. Zion branch fits the role of the, the free safety. He's six two, one hundred ninety five 195 pounds. He plays that role for Bishop Gorman out in Las Vegas where Ohio state's had some success before. And so if, that one's he's lower than the other guy. He's pretty significantly lower than the other guy because of the two, I'm not sure Ohio State wins this battle. I think he really likes USC. I'm pretty sure it was his dream school going up, but also it's just closer to home for him. And so what's going on with USC right now? Can they figure that situation out? I do think from a recruiting standpoint, I don't know if from a current roster standpoint firing clay helton four games into the season was the right move but from a recruiting standpoint it was the right move because now these kids aren't being blindsided you know when we get to december and we're close to the early signing day and they feel now they're having to rush decisions elsewhere no this gives them some time to figure out okay do i still want to go to usc or not and that that's interesting for me especially with a guy like zion branch who's always thought, thought it was his dream school uh, he's got some visits coming up. He came, he was at Ohio State's campus for the Buckeye Bass on June 4th. He also went to Oklahoma and USC back in June. He's got visits to Alabama and Clemson scheduled for the fall. Alabama schedules official visits whenever they can schedule them. And Clemson has always kept their official visits for the fall. So those will be interesting. But yeah, he's number seven on my list. So a couple different dynamics here. I think you're, the Clay Hilton thing, I've seen programs have to go through this before. And it, to me, it makes a lot of sense to get that next coach in place as early as possible. Um, obviously, people fire people at the end of the season all the time and make a hire within two weeks. Um, but here is, an, it, 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 are you are you pushing yourself away from recruits by making that separation so early? Maybe even guys that have already committed, uh, because this staff is not going to stick around. The staff that is mm-hmm. still like coaching this team right now is probably, for the most part, not going to be there. Um, maybe none of them will be there next year whenever they hire a new coach. 
but at the same time, you have to um, kind of make that, put that signal out there that you're changing things overall and maybe attracting a different level of recruit for those coming classes. I think that's um, going to be an interesting thing to watch play out. But also in, in terms of just Ohio State safeties, at one time it seemed critical to get someone, multiple good someones for this 2022 class because Ohio State's safety depth looked so thin for 2022. But now, unfortunately for him, Josh Proctor will be here next year. Yeah. So, and if he comes back, if his, if his recovery goes well and he comes back and is playing the way he played early this season, Ohio State's kind of in great shape there. Plus, then you've also got Lathan Ransom in behind. You've got still Bryson Shaw here in behind. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it transitions to becoming a position where it seemed like depth was almost like critical to like, that might be as deep a position as there is on the team outside of like receiver next year. It's funny what injuries can do. That's very silver lining of you to find, to find that. I, to, yeah, I'll, I'll, it, I'll I'm talk not, I'm not saying that it's a good thing that it happened. I'm yeah. saying that it's just yeah. the reality of what has happened. I'll tackle the USC part, part of this first. Whoever USC's next head coach is, do they keep anybody from the staff? Because that does happen at times. So, like, does a guy like Dante Williams get kept, who's responsible for Corey Foreman and Damani Jackson's recruitments? Corey Foreman was the number one player in the 2021 recruiting class in the top you know, uh, defensive end before, obviously, Quinn Ewers came in and, you know, threw everything out of whack. And then Damani Jackson, for a while, had all this momentum to Ohio State. And then Dante Williams said, no, you're staying home. And now he stayed home. So, th- And that's a question that's all right, whether or not you know, Damani Jackson is going to flip elsewhere. If he does, I don't think it's going to be Ohio State. It might end up being Michigan, so he can go play with Will Johnson. But I doubt it's going to be Ohio State at this point. But th- that plays a role in this, too. Does whoever the next USC head coach you know, find value in some of these the guys currently on the staff, at least from a recruiting standpoint? that's the name I would point to first. But then, yes, Josh Proctor coming back. But then also, this was always going to be a difficult thing to to pull off to get every single spot in your secondary filled out within one recruiting cycle, which is why Zion Williams is on – Zion Branch, excuse me, Zion Williams is a basketball player. Zion Branch is on the list because he is important. But he's – I wanted to make sure that there was a gap between him and the guy who I think they really – if I said, if I had to pick one, if they were only allowed to only going to get one, which one do I think it would be? It would be the other guy coming up later on this list. And just Damani Jackson being a, a USC cornerback recruit uh, that Ohio State was in on for a while, for those of you who don't yep. follow recruiting that Stephen just mentioned in passing there. Okay, that's the first four spots on the list. We're going to take a break and come back and tackle the next six here on Buckeye Talk. Stephen, who is the number six most important recruiting target for Ohio State football. Luke Montgomery out of Finley, Ohio, goes to Finley High School. 247 Sports has him listed as a defensive lineman. I'm not really sure why they have him def- listed as that because he is being recruited as an offensive tackle. He came over the summer and worked out as an offensive tackle. He plays tackle for Finley High School, even though he spent one week playing center because their center was out. He is a top 60 recruit, the number 59 player in the country. And his importance is a couple of things. One, because Notre Dame already took Brennan Vernon from you. You can't have that. You can't have top 60 recruits leaving the state. That's priority number one for Ryan Day is making sure that the Paris Johnsons and the Jacks Sawyers and the Luke Montgomery's and the CJ Hicks's do not leave this state. But also, I mean, he's a pretty talented guy who is that who like might develop into an All-American here. But then also from a recruiting standpoint, there are some recruits who 
are kind of like the door opener for everybody else to come along. And this guy can go into any room and make a friend. And in the idea of what CJ Hicks means to the Ohio State 2022 recruiting class, what Jack Sawyer meant to the 2021 class, what Paris Johnson meant to 2020, Luke Montgomery is best suited to be in that role. He's not the highest rated Ohio guy, but when you combine in his people skills, his his willingness to want to recruit others, the relationships he can build with others, along with the fact that he's a borderline five-star recruit, he might just fit that description of what we potted about back in the spring of, you know, those valuable, high, highly rated Ohio guys that you want to start your class off with. So he comes in here at number, what is this, number six? He's number six because he's not the highest rated Ohio guy, and there are also some guys who are maybe a little bit more important. But from a sense of his all around what he bring, he would bring to that Ohio State 2023 recruiting class, he's a guy who needs to be mentioned on this list. Do you know what his timetable is? After the season, he just recently you know cut down his list. I think he cut it down to 13. The earliest would be after his high school season, but I would assume it'd probably be sometime in the winter or the spring. Right now is complete. The summer was meant for information collection, and then the fall has been about you know narrowing down your choices. And then obviously the next thing is maybe going into a decision mode in the next three or four months. There is there a serious threat to Ohio State? Notre Dame would be the serious threat right now. Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman has infiltrated Ohio very quickly there, but it's not just him. Obviously Marcus Freeman would not be coaching this guy, but yeah, Notre Dame is probably threat number one to get a guy like him. I mean, they've already done it once with Brendan Vernon and there are two other Ohio guys that they're in on as well. So yeah, that's probably, I'm not going to say it's an Ohio State Notre Dame battle only, but that would be, if it's not Ohio State, it would probably be Notre Dame. But Marcus Freeman wouldn't be involved in the recruitment of an offensive lineman that much, would he? Eh, I don't know. He's from Ohio, and sometimes that plays a role. They, they might just—I'm not saying he's going to be the primary on this recruitment, but he might play a, a small role in it, even if he's on the other side of the ball. Ohio State's even done that with guys at times where, you know, if a guy knows the area well, even if he's not the position coach, they'll bring him in. They brought Tony Offer and a lot for different recruits. Now Washington had a hand in getting Travion Henderson here because he had already been recruiting him at Michigan a little bit. So yeah. People, when we asked for questions, we got a handful about just where things are with offensive line recruiting. There is a mm-hmm. uh, there's a impression that offensive line recruiting lags behind what some other positions are doing. Do you think that's accurate? And is it being repaired at all with what they're doing in 2022? Yes and no. Yes, because – it's the only position where it's not consistently getting highly rated guys. And I know you don't like the term five-star with, with tackles because it's usually only two or three. So I'll just say there are not enough top 100 offensive linemen that are being recruited by Ohio State when you compare it to what's happening at quarterback, running back, uh, wide receiver, at pretty much every other position on the, on the, on the roster. There's consistently a, a, a churning out of top 100 recruits. The offensive line doesn't have that. They just get they get the one every single cycle, and then that's kind of it. And there's usually a caveat with that one with Paris Johnson, Donovan Jackson. Uh, those guys are Ohio guys and for all sense and purposes. Donovan Jackson's from Ohio. He just happened to move to Texas. It's literally the same story as Garrett Wilson. You know, Harry Miller is because of it's all Ryan Day. His mother will tell you that Ryan Day is why he's he almost went to, went, went to Michigan and ended up at Ohio State because of Ryan Day. They love that relationship there. So they don't do it as at a high volume the same way they do everywhere else. So that's where, you know, Greg Sujawa has not done his job. 
Now, the no is because at the same time, he has developed the talent that is in his, his, in his room every single year. Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, uh, Brandon Bowen, when he got healthy. Thayer Munford is a four-year starter here. Uh, Dewan Jones, I mean, that guy is hidden gem of all hidden gems right there. And look what he's turning out to be. PFF rated him has one of the higher-rated tackles in the country earlier this season. So the development is there. It's just the talent accumulation has not matched the same. It's not up to the standard that every other position is. I think that may be an important thing for people to remember is when you're complaining about a position group not getting enough high, highly ranked guys, also go look at how many times that position group has had a quote-unquote bust at that position. Because now I'm kind of thinking back about it. Like, when was the last time a offensive lineman came into Ohio State really highly ranked and then didn't pan out? I know it took people – I know it took, like, um, Nicholas Petit Frere, like, a year longer yeah. than people thought it might. But look at what he is now. My God. Like, it, 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 it hit. Like, it worked. It went as well as it was supposed to go. So, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's weird that, like – because you can look at every other position group. Five-star running backs. Five-star uh, cornerbacks. Um, uh, certainly a linebacker. Highly ranked guys that just didn't really explode. And offensive line hasn't really had that. So I'm mm-hmm. not, that's not an excuse. You've got to go get the best guys in the country. But I do think there is something to be said for like, maybe they've just um, weeded out some of the busts and some of the guys that they didn't land here that are highly ranked guys, maybe they were guys that wouldn't have worked out. Yeah, that, that's probably going to play a role in it. I, I think there's a balance to that. I do think right now they might lean too heavily on hidden gem talent and not enough on what might be a surefire thing, because if you can develop a Dewan Jones, you can probably develop a Zach Rice and you're not going to get, but you got the chance to develop a Dewan Jones. You're, I know Zach Rice put Ohio State on that top five graphic with that commitment day, but he's not coming here. You're not going to get the chance to develop a Zach Rice. So it's got to be a balance of that's what makes it impressive, especially in the offensive line, when you can find the hidden gems and you can develop them, but you're also recruiting the highly rated guys as a, as at a high clip as well, because then Dewan Jones isn't your starting right tackle. He's your sixth best offensive lineman, which makes your offensive line that much better if you found this hidden gem and you developed it into a guy who could start for literally anybody in the Big Ten, and he's your sixth best lineman. Number five on your countdown. This is where our only quarterback on the list comes in, and that's Jaden Davis out of South Carolina, who also lives on the border of North Carolina. He will tell you that's basically the same thing. If you take a 30-minute drive north, you're in North Carolina. There are no ratings for the 2024 – no composite ratings, at least, for the 2024 recruiting class right now. But when those come out, he's going to be a five-star. He's a top player in that class. And he's basically going to be the next Justin Fields. He loves – he's modeled his game after Justin Fields, and he'll tell you – he'll admit that himself. He's been up here – couple of times now he came up to throw for a camp and that's when he got the offer and Nathan got to meet him and talk to him and then he came back up here again in July for a barbecue and then he came back up here again for the Oregon game so he's been up here three times and they are putting their all into basically the guy who might be the next generational quarterback and so regardless of what's going on right now how this all shakes out right now he is a 2024 quarterback and the best player in that class the question with him is at some point, does he reclassify? Right now, he says it is not happening. His family will say that it's not a conversation they're having, but it's 
clearly in the back of their minds. And if, the, if it's this much of a conversation still, and it's still this much of a talking point that maybe one day it happens and maybe he ends up being a 2023 guy by the time it's all said and done. But for right now, he's a 2024 guy, the only 2024 guy on this list. And the reason why is he might be the next generational quarterback. And Ohio State seems to be in a little groove here recruiting generational quarterbacks and then getting them here six months earlier than expected. I'm about to coin a term, and I want it to be I want it to be date and time. I don't think anybody's ever said this before. It was an epiphany that just hit me. So 11.01 a.m., we're recording this on Monday, October 11th. Would he, become, would he be reclassifying because he could play college football as early as 2013 and he'll be ready? Or will he be taking his Quinn Ewers green shirt year? That's the term I'm, I'm, I am coining. <laughs> to come here – to come here and make the NIL cash for a year. Is that what it's, are you, is that what we're talking about here that he would, he would reclassify to come here and get that sort of process started, even though he wouldn't necessarily be coming here to play college football in 2013. I mean, money sure, helps. I'm sorry, but that's, that's just a great term. I can't believe no one's ever. Cause they're, cause they're getting green. Is that why? <laughs> uh, the money will probably help that situation. It's funny because here's the thing. <laughs> he's actually supposed to be a 2024 kid. He's very young for his age, which is why he moved back to the 2024 class to begin age. with. You can't be young for your age. You mean young for your grade? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Fine. Yes. Yes. Nathan. Yes. Young, you can't for, be young his for your grade. age or old for your age. You're just your age. I don't know, man. You could be, a, you could act like an old man, even if you're 21 years old. But yeah, yeah, he's young for his grade. He's still one of the younger people in the 22 as a 2024 graduate, which is part of the reason he moved back. But yes, I'm pretty sure the NIL money might play a role in this. But this was a conversation that uh, kind of a talking point around him, even before he had an Ohio State offering, even before the NIL stuff completely came into effect and Quinn did what he did and Gavin Wimsaw did what he did. So uh, yes, but that's going to play a role in it as well, but I don't know how often we'll see a kid do that to that extreme. All right, Steven, who is number four on your countdown of the most important recruiting targets for Ohio state? Xavier Wampa, number 45 player, number three safety in the 2022 recruiting class. He would be Ohio state's first ever commitment out of Iowa. And I think he's the highest rated player in a while out of Iowa as well. Hold, which is hold, interesting. hold on. When you say first ever recruitment out of Iowa, you mean? Commit. Yeah. Commitment. First commit in the like modern recruiting era. Ever. They've never had a player from the state of Iowa that's played a, a down at Ohio state. No. Mm-mm. Okay. Interesting. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, which is, this is what it takes to go in Iowa for, for them. So yeah, th- listen, this guy has been, seemingly had Ohio State momentum for basically like eight or nine months now and hasn't pulled the trigger yet. And I think I've said this in the past. If the spot's his, if he wants to take it, he's obviously taking his time with that. To answer the question of when is the next time he will be on this campus, he is supposed to be here for the Penn State game. That is Ohio State's next big recruiting weekend where there's going to be a lot of guys walking around the campus and walking around for that game day. He is among those people coming here. So that answers that question of when is Xavier Wampa next getting here. He was here over the summer for the Buckeye Bash as well. They want him to play the bullet position. And I think the better Ronnie Hickman plays it, the more the better the chances are of pulling in Xavier because – He's a free safety by, by trade. He plays that position for Southeast Polk High School in Iowa, and I, it's 
what he wanted to play initially. I think Notre Dame's kind of recruiting him at this, at their version of whatever the bullet is right now. And I was kind of doing the same thing, but he's kind of perfect for the bullet. Now that we've seen Ronnie Hickman play, he's 6'2", 190 pounds and rangy and can get all over the field and just, you know, tally up tackles the same way we're seeing with Hickman right now. He's number four because, as we talked about with Zion, this they need safeties. And I don't necessarily think they need free safeties at this point, but they do need high-caliber defensive back play right now. I think Denzel Burke is easing some of the cornerback play right now, and Ronnie Hickman coming on at the bullet helps that. But you do need guys, some depth behind those guys, and a guy who can, you know, a top, basically a top 50 version of that. And Xavier Wampa might just be that. So of the final four, he's a pretty interesting guy because it seems like – Ohio State's in the lead. Don't lose your lead at this point. And I think coming for that Penn State game, see if Ronnie Hickman, let's just say Ronnie Hickman goes out there and has 12 tackles, 12, 15 tackles, which isn't crazy because he's had a couple double digit tackle games already. And that's kind of, and then he loves the atmosphere. Now that he's got the chance to see a game day along with seeing the campus over the summer. And that's the thing that puts him over the top. Even if he doesn't commit right away, that's a big deal for Ohio State to basically close, be, close, be a closer. You got the lead, close the deal. It's interesting because as we saw the slow-moving bullet coming over the last couple of years, I think we always envisioned it as which linebacker gets moved out there, which which is the rangiest linebacker that it makes sense to turn into a bullet. And then obviously, as you mentioned, the way it's turned out, they took a safety and made him the bullet. So, And, and he's pretty much locked that position down. Like that's, That mm-hmm. is who the bullet is this year. It's probably who the bullet's going to be next year. It's, that's their safeties. So – have they the whole time during Nwankwo's recruitment? Has he been on the safety pitch? Has that been what they've been coming after him with? Yeah, that's a, they've pitched that. They've I I'll say Ohio State has gonna, done a good job in the transparency part of everybody understands where exactly they fit into this roster. You know, as I said earlier, you know, Terrence Brook, Jair Brown, and, and Ryan Turner, those are their cornerbacks. Zion Branch would be their free safety. Kai Stokes would be their cover safety. So he's the Cam Martinez, Marcus Williamson. This is their bullet. And so that's the position they tell him to watch when he turns on Ohio State. Number three on the list. We're moving through this pretty quickly. Caden Curry out of Indiana Center Grove High School, the number 69 player and the number 12 defensive lineman. Same umbrella as Avery Wampa in the sense that you have the lead and it seems like you've had the lead for at least a year now. Close the deal off. Don't let Indiana and don't let Tom Allen steal another one from you, basically. They've already, already stolen DeSan McCullough, mainly because, you know, his dad's on the staff. You know, when your dad's employed by a university, along with your brothers playing there, it's the writing's kind of on the wall there. Don't let Indiana come in and steal that. Don't let Alabama and Clemson maybe make a late push here. That's a, in the name of they don't have any defensive line recruits. Of the long list of guys they want – I think he's the most realistic get right now. That if I had to put money on which one am I am I gonna confidently say he's going to be a Buckeye, it would be Caden Curry. So kind of the same concept as Xavier Wampa, where it's you're in the lead, close the deal, don't lose it to somebody else. Where is kind of the battleground for him? Indiana he he was on Indiana's campus on September eighteenth. That's the only other official visits he's taken he he came to Ohio State for the Oregon game so right now those have been his only two official visits obviously Alabama and Clemson are in on this as well and I think the selling pitch right now is Ohio State wants him to be a three tech and there might be some other schools who want him to be more of a defensive end so you know what's his best position 
And also, is he going to be realistic with himself about what his best position is? And it might end up being a three-tech. Even if he's not at Ohio State, his best position is, is at a three-tech. But as a, everybody wants to be a defensive end. And so if somebody is selling him on the idea of being that and they give a good enough pitch, whether it's Alabama because they want a 3-4 defense or Clemson also runs a 3-4 defense as well, while Ohio State obviously runs a 4-3, that might swing him in another direction. How much are some of these national programs still potentially a threat for him? Or do you think it is just an Indiana-Ohio State race at this point? I, I, those two are the leaders. I think Alabama is interesting just because they run a different style of defense and they might make him an end. But I think it's Ohio State-Indiana at this point. Number two on the list? I saw this kid over the summer. He came and worked out with Tony Alford, and he looks like an, a grown man. He looks like he's 24 years old. And that's Richard Young, the number one running back in the country, number 21 player in the 2023 recruiting class out of Florida, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, uh, Ohio State. I mean, pick of the litter there. And I think the reason why I have him so high, I understand Travion Henderson is here, but I feel like this would be the, the perfect transition because Travion Henderson is leaving after 2023. It's I think these first five games have first six games have been an indication of how long he's going to be here. If Travion Henderson at his full powers in 2023 is obviously your workhorse and your top running back. And this guy is a true freshman and he's your spellback or he's the guy in waiting and he takes over in 2024 as the guy, that's a perfect handoff. And that's, I think what they're selling him on. I, I think running backs like being workhorses, but they also are not idiots and understand that they need to get their body to the NFL because the running back shelf life is already a short shelf life. So if he spends a year behind Travion Henderson before taking that, that starting job in 2024, that's a perfect handoff. And that's why he's so high. If you're not going to swing big in 2022 for a running back, you wouldn't got down Hayden, who's more in the 200, 300 range, then you have to swing big again in 2023. And they're clearly doing that with a guy like Richard Young. Do you think, I mean, this is one of those things where because he would be coming here in 2023, as you say, that's still going to be the third year for Trevion Henderson. Mm-hmm. And do they have to do any kind of a sell job as far as what his role is going to be that first year and then kind of the passing of the torch? Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know if sell job is the right way to phrase it. That has to be said, uh, though. Yes, that has to be the pitch of this is what we this is our plan for you. I don't know if they have to sell it because he just doesn't want to do that. I don't know how many running. There's not a lot of running backs out there who would throw a temper tantrum if they're not the starter in year one, because even B. John Robinson wasn't the go-to guy in year one for Texas. You know that that's not I, I, that's not necessary. It's it's an opportunity if they see an, a chance to do it, but they're not for these guys who are five stars who are basically choosing between all the blue bloods in college football. They know that they're probably not going to be the go- go-to guy immediately once they get to a school as a true freshman. This, I mean, let's be honest here. Travion Henderson is only that because they had some bumps in the recruiting road that presented this opportunity. I think Travion Henderson, if you talk to him, would have been perfectly fine not being the guy until next year. He actually likes to having to, having to be able to share the workload with somebody else because it saves his body. So I don't know. They don't have to sell it to him because he doesn't believe in that. That just has to be the plan they lay out that, hey, Travion's our guy in 2023 while you're behind him, and then you're off and running with the job. And, and remind people what's happening kind of in between. Like, what are they doing for 2022 to sort of fill the gap between Henderson and Pryor, who they have for the 2023 or 2021 freshman, and then what they'll do for 2023? 
Yeah, they, they narrowed their choices down to a bunch of guys in the mid-200s to the mid-300s before they settled in on Dallin Hayden, who committed over the summer, the number 275 player and the number 26 running back in the country. I think he's better with what that ranking is, but he's not Travion Henderson or Richard Young. He's a quality in-between step. It's funny, they're actually doing in the running back room that the, the argument that we keep trying to have in the quarterback room for how they should approach that. So he's a quality in-between step, a great – He's not the same style as Master Teague, but the idea of if he's your second running back, that's a pretty quality football team. I think that would be his role here. He's the spell back to a guy like Travion Henderson or to a guy like Richard Young. So let's finish it off. Who's the number one player on this list? The crown jewel of the state of Ohio, the best player regardless of you know class within the state, the number eight player and the number two safety, but safety probably doesn't do justice to what he is, and that's Sonny Styles out of Pickerington, Ohio. You know, six foot four, two fifteen. As I've written in the past, the possibilities with what you can do with him are endless. You know, we're seeing a little bit Craig Young in this kind of you know limited role that he has. Sonny Styles is the five star version for that, so they'll obviously use it a lot more. He is um, the Isaiah Simmons for Ohio State. He is you cannot let that guy leave. And I understand that his older brother Lorenzo is a wide receiver at Notre Dame, but that's because Ohio State went national with his wide receiver recruiting in 2021. And so there was no room for the Ohio guy who was a borderline top 100 recruit. You cannot let Sonny Styles leave this state. The brother thing is a family thing that Notre Dame can sell. Ohio State can sell the fact that his dad, Lorenzo Styles Sr., played linebacker for Ohio State you know, in the 80s and 90s. So he cannot leave the state whatsoever. So I made this list. It's one through 10. There's a gap between one and everybody else on this list because he is the absolute one guy on this list that he cannot go anywhere else. He has to be a Buckeye. He's narrowed down his list that he has not picked a commitment date yet, but I would expect that to come sometime after the season, whether it's the high school season or the college football season. But that guy has to be a Buckeye. So just so everyone isn't confused, Nwakba is the one that you're talking about as a potential bullet. Mm-hmm. But then you drop the Isaiah Simmons comp kind of in yeah. for so for styles. So just I guess make sure that people aren't so but but he would not be coming here to be a bullet. He would be coming here to be what? To be Sonny Styles, which is I know a, a stupid thing to say, but that's exactly what they would be bringing him for. And I do think some of the changes they've made in a defensive scheme makes that a more realistic thing to be able to say because the bullet isn't totally what we thought it was gonna be. You know, Ronnie Hickman is a safety who is sometimes up in the box, but sometimes when they go t- too high, he's the safety that's back without a Bryson Shaw or Lathan Ransom. So that it's not as muddy of a water now where it's like, okay, you're going to be the bullet on these downs and you're going to be the bullet on these downs. It's like, no, these two can be on the field together. And Sonny Styles just might be your second linebacker at this point, even though you wouldn't necessarily call him a linebacker and you, you wouldn't call him a safety. You would just, he's just like, like with Isaiah Simmons, he's just kind of everywhere. And so it's like, if we painted it right now, if we take Ronnie Hickman and you take Taraja Mitchell off the field, let's do that. And these guys are on the roster right now. It's Xavier Wampa is where Ronnie Hickman is. And then maybe Cody Simons, your will linebacker and Sonny Styles is your other linebacker, but he can do a lot of, a lot of just different things for you. So Sonny Styles would be playing an inside linebacker position. Inside linebacker, he can play, he can cover. It's it, because of what he. I, I, it's 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 difficult because you can't really give this guy a position. 
at this point because he can do lineback inside linebacker things. He can do outside linebacker things. He can do safety things. So when you have a guy like that, it's very simplistic to just say, yeah, he'd be an inside linebacker because no, he really wouldn't just be an inside linebacker. Well, I'm just talking about where he would actually line up. And when you're taking an inside linebacker off Mm -hmm. the field to put someone who's more of a defensive back on the field, there are obviously some vulnerabilities there. Mm -hmm. Not really, though, because he's the size of a linebacker. (laughs) That's the that's the caveat there is, yeah, he's a defensive back who is the size of a linebacker who can also do linebacker things. And so that's where, you know, when you have a guy like that, it makes up for any you know concept of, oh, you're putting the next defensive back to take a linebacker off the field. Well, not really because of what the size that he is. So this is pretty much an OSU Notre Dame collision here. Yep. This is, I mean, Luke Montgomery, Josh Padilla, Brennan Vernon, those are battles. This is the ultimate battle right here. The winner of this, whether whether it's Marcus Freeman or Al Washington, the Ohio guys are battling for an Ohio guy, basically. All right. So that's the 10 through one. You want to run down that list again, just for people who forgot since the beginning of this podcast. Yeah, that was that was pretty long. Number ten, defensive end Mateo Uyunglele. Number nine, inside offensive lineman Ernest Green. Number eight, AJ Harris, corner five star cornerback. Number seven, I suck at counting down. I'm just noticing this. Off four star offensive tackle Luke Montgomery. No, I'm sorry. Number seven, four star safety Zion Branch. Number six. Offensive tackle Luke Montgomery. Number five, five star quarterback Jaden Davis. Number four, four star safety Xavier Wampa. Number three, four star defensive lineman Caden Curry. Number two, five star running back Richard Young. And number one, five star safety linebacker, whatever you want to call him, Sonny Styles. So follow us through the text, follow us here on the pod. We'll be bringing you intel as those recruiting battles continue to develop here in the coming months. One more break, and we'll be back to answer the texter questions here on Buckeye Talk. Six one four three five zero three three one five. Again, if you're not on the text, two week uh, free trial before three ninety nine per month. Here are some of the questions that our texter sent in specifically about recruiting. You answered some of them already. There were a lot of questions about mm-hmm. some some individual players. I want to get into a couple other, obviously some quarterback people are very curious about. Uh, here's one from the 216. Are the Buckeyes going to try for another quarterback in 2022? Or is it kind of pray James Franklin leaves Penn State and luck into Drew Allar? <laughs> and uh, also Anthony from Finley. Hey, guys, you think they'll wait to address the quarterback room until one or two of them inevitably leaves? If so, how will they do it? Is it more likely they use the transfer portal for depth? Or is there a chance you try to land a low-end three-star Ohio kid in 2022 or 23 just to have a body? You've already answered the Drew Allar thing to our texters a couple weeks ago saying that that Mm -hmm. doesn't seem like a thing that's going to materialize. But it's obviously a bit of a fluid situation because Ohio State doesn't know how many quarterbacks it's still going to have on the roster in spring and doesn't know how many it's still going to have on the roster next fall. Which is why it's easier to just hit the portal especially when you're not necessarily looking for a starter. You can always go find a Gunner Hoke or Chris Chuganoff in the portal just to fill your room up if you know unequivocally who your starting quarterback is going to be and then who the next guy in line is there. Like I said in the text a couple of weeks, uh, Quinn Ewers decommitting from Texas, you know, changed everything for Ohio State and how they approached quarterbacks. And then when he decided to arrive six months early, it changed everything again for how they're going to handle this quarterback room. And so Ryan Day is not totally just – 
talking coach speak when he says you handle it year to year because when stuff like that happens, it does become a year to year thing. But yeah, that's at this point, their best bet is let's see how this room shakes out in January. If anybody leaves in and then let's see how this room shakes out again after the spring, if anybody else leaves after that, and then you can hit the portal to find your depth because at the end of the day, as long as Quinn Ewers is still here, that's probably all that matters. Several questions about a former Ohio State commit. Uh, do you guys think, this is from the A17, do you guys think there's any chance that Jaheim Singletary could still come to Ohio State? I know he seems to be trending towards Miami, Georgia, or Florida. Would it be completely unprecedented for him to flip back to the Buckeyes? I think someone said that they saw a crystal ball come in for Singletary recently to Ohio State, but all of those crystal balls that I've seen on the 247 side are low confidence regardless of position or regardless of they- destination. Yeah, and they haven't changed. They've been the same crystal ball since before he committed the first time back in December. That's the thing that people – crystal balls matter sometimes. You know what I mean? They 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 matter in in the moment when it feels like a, it's decision time for somebody, and you see momentum sway because it's a bunch of them. But sometimes people on that site just get lazy and don't update their crystal balls if they don't have to. You know, so I wouldn't pay attention to any of those crystal balls again until it feels like he's ready to make a decision. I would be shocked if he is a Buckeye at this point. I'll leave the 5% window open just because it's it's not completely unprecedented. We've seen players decommit and then eventually recommit. Legend Cavazos did it in 2020 once he felt more comfortable with the new coaching staff. So I'll leave that small sliver of a window open. But, yeah, I'd be shocked if he comes north. Singletary is a, a top 20 um, consensus cornerback out of Florida, yep. by the way. Uh, that's who we're talking about right now. Uh, from the 740, Ohio State recruiting 2022 and 2021 and 2022 seem to be headed up by some peer-to-peer recruiting, Jack Sawyer, CJ Hicks. Is there a 2023 high-caliber player leading the charge? If so, who is it? What do you know about his charisma? And will he be able to drop the booms in peer recruiting like Hicks did? Yeah, they're just not in the class yet. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's coming, probably. Yeah. Uh, right now, the only commit is Ty Lockwood out of Tennessee, the tight end, the number 142 player in the country, number eight tight end. And, I mean, he's doing his job. He's doing his part. But, yeah, the as I mentioned before, Luke Montgomery, C.J. Hicks, Josh Padilla, whenever they decide to join the class, if they decide to be Buckeyes, they fit that bill as being those guys. It's just, you know, the weird thing is the last two cycles – we saw that guy commit so early. So, you know, Jack Sawyer committed in February, a month after Ryan Day got the job. C.J. Hicks committed, I think it was May of 2020. So they committed so early that, you know, we already knew that answer. That We know who they're going to be. We just don't know if they're going to be Buckeyes yet. From the 585, what is the deal with linebacker recruiting? Seems like they've gotten lots of four-star dudes and almost all have underachieved and or left the team. Some of that is the end of Urban and Bill Davis's failures, but it's insane that Ohio State hasn't had a first-round linebacker since Darren Lee. Is this just loads of misses, or is the team just not relying on the position like seemingly the rest of the sport does? I will say it's a little bit unfair to talk about the misses and not also acknowledge the Pete Werners, the um, Malik Harrisons, this is just the guys that I've seen here the last couple of years. You know, Justin Hilliard mm-hmm. was a, a highly ranked guy who, by the end of his career, ended up being an impactful player in his role. Um, I know that he didn't come here and become a All-American as a five-star or whatever, and neither did Baron Browning, but Baron Browning was also a mid-round NFL draft pick, and sometimes we um, we we 
turn our nose a little bit too quickly at third and fourth round draft picks as if those guys aren't uh, really significant football players. But what do you kind of see as the, the deal with linebacker recruiting? And I, I would also remind people what you're seeing happen right now with the bullet as becoming mm. a safety focused position is something that started happening in recruiting a couple of years ago. And right now, Ohio State only needs two starters at linebacker, maybe three if you're going to specialize and have a guy who's on the field for third downs, nickel packages, and stuff like that, swapping guys out the way they did with Baron Browning a couple years ago, the way they're doing right now with, with guys like Steel Chambers. But really, practically, it's the, the how they recruit that room has changed a little bit because they don't need to spread their room across three positions as much anymore. That was going to be my exact point. For Al Washington hasn't failed as a recruiter. Cody Simon was a top 100 recruit in 2020. Reed Carrico is a top 100 recruit in the 2021 class. And he's a fresh, those are freshmen and sophomore. CJ Hicks is a five-star. Gabe Powers is a borderline five-star. Now we'll see with him because he's growing a lot and he might end up being a defensive end. He's 6'4", 230. So we'll see. But to the point of if they're only going to consistently use two linebackers, on a down-to-down basis, that room doesn't need to be big, which means they need – now, that means they need to, you know, they need to swing big, and they need to go get – you know, if you're only going to have two, they need to be pretty freaking good so that guys like Troy Bowles and Jaden Osbury, those guys need to be Ohio State guys because if you only have two, they need to be four- and five-star recruits. But they're not failing. They're just approaching it differently. You don't need to have four linebackers in a class. You need to have – four or five defensive backs in a class. You need to have four or five defensive linemen in the class because that's the bulk of your, your roster. The scheme they run, I think your linebackers need to be good, not great, I guess. I think because the work is going to be handled by the defensive backs and the defensive line. That's where the strength of your defense is going to be when you run this 4-3, 4 2 whatever one you want to call it, scheme, where the emphasis is on the, the back, the backs, uh, the secondary and the, and the front, and the defensive front. So – I think it's fine for now. He hasn't missed on anybody. So, you know. Yeah, and the, obviously the Dasamakola decommitment was a was a specific, unique case. And I, I yeah. would say, like, I don't know if it's that they rely on linebackers the rest less than the rest of the sport does. But if you were, like, prioritizing which positions you had to get studs at, wouldn't you put defensive end first and cornerback mm-hmm. either and or cornerback first – and then maybe defense – I think I'd put defensive tackle above linebacker. I guess the only quibble would be, like, between linebacker and safety. But in this defense, I think safety would have to be a higher priority. So it's just one of those things where um, I, I, they're getting good players at linebacker. I, I, I yeah. think that uh, the, the, the fact that they haven't had a first-round linebacker since Darren Lee, I, I see what they're saying. Um, but some of that also is you've had some um, important players – who in another program may not have been developed into the player that they were, such as Pete Werner, such as Malik Harris. Also, I can't remember off the top of my head. Alts, who was is, were there any other first round linebackers this past year other than Michael Parsons? I you can't know, remember. I'm not a just... couple. Um, I think it went, the LSU guy a couple years ago was a first round backer, but it's yeah. also not a. It, you're right. It's not it's a not first round position. Position. You know, not yes, always, it's yeah. not. Yeah, I think of it more like interior offensive line, where it's 
once in a while, like really good guys will break through or if, if somebody has a, a real need there. But I, I don't mm-hmm. think of linebacker as being like a, a, a first, you know, the way the running back has also kind of become like not a first round position as much. Yeah. If, if you're a first round running back, you're pretty good. So three um, this past year, they were Zavin Collins, Michael Parsons, and I've lost the other one because I, um, Jameen Davis, Jamin Davis out of uh, Kentucky. So yeah, three guys, but like, that's not a, while defensive end and offensive tackle and corner and wide receiver and quarterback, those are consistent first rounders. So yeah, that, that plays a role into this too. You might be a first round talent, but because of the position you play, you might not go to the second round, which is perfectly fine. Yeah. I wouldn't get as caught up in the lack of first round linebackers being a detractor to this team's success as much as the first round quarterbacks, the first round uh, defensive ends, the first round cornerbacks. I mean, historically, that's that's what's going to drive this team to success, and they are for the most part over over the aggregate over a long period of time. They are still doing that. Uh, from the three one four, I'd be interested in knowing what happens when a team like the Buckeyes have a ton of high level recruits into Columbus for a high profile game like Oregon, and they lose. Does it sour the recruits? How do they regain momentum after a loss, or does it not really matter? And I only bring this up because we had several people kind of ask this question, and it since it's been a while since Ohio State lost in the regular season, I think it's worth asking that question. Nah, they don't care. It's football. They know you lose sometimes. That's not you – know, beating Oregon is not at the top of the priority list for these recruits when they come on the visit. The game day visit is less about the score and more about they want to see what the environment is like. So <laughs> what does matter is the fact that the stadium was not full. You know, that that does matter. These kids want to put on a show for people. So that's a more – so. Buy some tickets. Go watch your Buckeyes play, especially when they go, they play Penn State if that's a night game, because that's going to be more important. The idea that it's it's alternate jerseys, it's under the lights, the stadium is full. It's a top ten matchup between two of the best teams in the Big Ten. That stuff matters a lot. It's about they're trying to every visit is a chance to check something off on his checklist, and whether a team wins or loses or not, you know. It's not like any of these guys went, oh, Oregon beat Ohio State, so now Oregon replaces Ohio State in my top ten. That's not how this works. They don't care that much. And wrapping up from the 419, obviously this year's team is getting big contributions from true freshmen. Is there a player in the incoming class, that'd be 2022, that you wouldn't be surprised to see make an immediate impact and any secondary recruits that could have real roles next year? Hmm. The second one, if they're saying secondary as in players yeah. who play in the secondary, I think is less likely – because I think this whole secondary is going to pretty much return intact, except for Marcus yeah. Williamson. You're going to have, um, I mean, Seven Banks right now looks like a guy who's going to be back next year. Cam Brown should be back next year. Obviously, Denzel Burke's going to be here starting for the next couple of yeah. years. Um, we already mentioned the safety situation. So I get, and then Cam Martinez is right there as the heir apparent uh, behind Marcus Williamson when he's not starting this year. So the secondary seems pretty intact as far as like the top of the depth chart for 2022. <laughs> But anybody else at another position that you that that jumps out to you as a potential? Yeah, I, um, CJ Hicks. I mean, I I made a joke with somebody that he might be a starter right now in this in this linebacker room if he was on campus. But yeah, CJ, uh, that's a guy that he might have a job next year because outside of Cody Simon, I don't. Still, Chambers has been pretty good, but I think CJ Hicks is just better than him. So outside of Cody Simon, I'm not sure if anybody's job is safe. Um. Secondary, Terrence Brooks is interesting, even with everybody coming back. It's like, you know, we, I mean, we saw it this past year where older guys are losing their jobs to Mark 
younger, talented guys. Can he do that as a top 40 recruit? And then wide receiver is always interesting. Is there a true freshman wide receiver who might come in and shake up the room and just end up – because, I mean, it's going to be spots, right? And it's Jackson Smith the Jigba is the only starter coming back next year unless Garrett has something he wants to tell all of us. Um, so can Caleb Burton get, get back to being fully healthy, the guy who was the number one wide receiver for a long time before he hurt his knee? Can he come up here and you know shake some things up there? But, yeah, C.J. Hicks is the only one I can confidently say he'll have some type of role next year. Yeah, I think looking at any of those guys in terms of uh, starting right away could be tough, but it, it's about do you get rotational snaps yeah. – do you get in the mix somehow? You know, Steel Chambers is a good example. Could a freshman come in and have a role like that where maybe it's kind of a niche role, but still an important one and you're still getting on the field for important uh, series, important parts of the game. I, I, I think that's uh, still potentially out there. Thanks for joining us today on this recruiting-focused episode of Buckeye Talk. We will be back Wednesday morning. We'll be talking about what we learned Tuesday during the bi-week press conference. We're supposed to get Ryan Day, obviously. We've been... Um, rumored to get some assistant coaches we may even be talking to some ohio state players but like coleridge you know do you know who coleridge is before you know that is coleridge coleridge bernard no coleridge bernard stroud the fourth oh okay uh, I don't know if we will get him. We usually get him only after games, so we will see. Well, now he's a Heisman Trophy candidate, so they might start putting him out there to us more. Well, he was always kind of a Heisman Trophy candidate. We'll see. That, that's an interesting – we should probably do that on the pod at some point. Like, over the second half of this year, who who is the – like, who do you think would be the better candidate, him or Henderson? Him or Travis, yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> I, because Henderson's the one that I still see – more likely to do those like make you like smack yourself in the face kind mm-hmm. of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, did I really just see that? <laughs> and I think those things matter, but the accumulation of numbers that CJ Stroud. Yeah. Up that's the thing. Man. And man, it's really the, 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 we had this conversation before the year, like who's going to, who, who do we, who are we predicting to win the national or the, the win the Heisman trophy and all the quarterbacks that we thought were going to be in that mix are not in that mix. I Sam don't. Howell. See you later. Spencer Rattler. See you Not later. even a starter. Not even so, a starter anymore. <laughs> it's, it's really opened up. Like we, we talked about how the, how every, the, the race for the playoff was, we thought going to be pretty wide open and, and the, the Heisman race has opened up. So will be an interesting thing to watch. And we, you know, we had always, we had always said, you know, what if like things went really well for CJ Stroud and he like won the Heisman trophy. And then like, what does that mean for next year's quarterback battle? I'm like, well, it's, it's might, early, it's early and, and Stroud hasn't had to do it. The only time Stroud's had to play a good team this year, he didn't win, and he didn't have a healthy shoulder. But let's not forget that. Let's 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 say the foundation has been laid for an intriguing second half. I'll say one more thing before we get it because this question kind of got asked too, uh, like the quarterback situation. To the point of what if CJ comes out here and he's awesome, and what does that mean for Quinn Ewers? Once again, this is I think where Quinn Ewers showing up six months early very much complicates things because I think we've all all three of us have been on the board that regardless of what happens this year Quinn's probably going to be the starter next year I think had Quinn showed up in January and just this was normal and CJ was awesome and he just kept the job and then Quinn was just a backup for a year and then went off to the NFL I don't think they lose Quinn because it's just normal he's just okay you're not starting as a true freshman oh okay cool that's still not that normal to start as a true freshman so I think he would have been fine with that. 
if CJ was awesome. But now that he's here six months earlier, this gets weird, the better CJ can send you to play. Because, I mean, he's here now, and he's getting a look, an early look at the playbook, even if he's not getting a lot of practice reps. I couldn't disagree more, because he was going to come in 2022 and sit for a year anyway, then the timetable hasn't changed at all. He's still – the eligibility doesn't change. His NFL no, doesn't. doesn't change. None of that changes. And he's just it's, here for the green shirt that I mentioned before. He is, but also now you're asking him to spend two years not playing football. That's, that, that's what I mean when it changes. Instead should, of one no, year. he didn't – you're not asking him to do that. He chose to do that. He chose to come here yeah. a year ahead of time to make money. That's what he's here to do. He's here to <laughs> start learning about being a college football player, but he's here to make money. Let's, let's not call it what it isn't. He didn't come here expecting to compete. And so the other thing, though, that I think is, has not been resolved, though, I mean, C.J. Stroud has never competed against Quinn Ewers. Kyle McCord has never competed against Gears. CJ Stroud has never actually even competed against a sophomore year Kyle McCord. So uh, we'll revisit this all next spring. I mean, whatever happens over these next six weeks, the, this is going to be a topic next spring as far as what that competition is. And it'll be fun to watch or, or nerve wracking and not fun to watch, but um, we'll be there regardless for Steven means I'm Nathan Baird. And that was Buckeye talk. (laughs) 